Welcome to Mountain Meister. I'm your host, Ben Shank. Last episode, we had a free solo rock climber, and we explored his mind and his tolerance for risk. Today we have a free solo slackliner, someone else who must have a tolerance for risk. So it became clear to me that I wanted to gain control over my mind as much as I could, and free solo was the only way I could do that. While their purposes for free soloing may be similar, their appetites for risk are completely different. Risk is never a reason not to do something. If nobody ever took risks, our civilization wouldn't be where it is today. Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice with your host, Ben Shank. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mountain Meister. Today with me, I have Faith Dickey. Faith, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. For the listeners who don't know Faith, she is a professional slackliner. And for the listeners who don't know what slacklining is, it is when you walk across a thin piece of webbing, normally about one inch thick, and you go from one point to another point. Uh, there are all sorts of slacklining, uh, varieties of slacklining out there, and all of their names are very indicative of what they involve. There is urban lining in the city, uh, there's trick lining, water lining, high lining, wind lining, slackline yoga, freestyle slacklining, and free solo slacklining. Faith, did I miss any? Long lining. Long lining, and I'm guessing that's a long line. <laughs> That is a very long line. So what, what varieties do you do? Um, well, I specialize in highlining. That's my favorite by far. But I also love long lining and water lining. And uh, I've coined the term high-heeled lining Ooh. as I've walked lines in high heels. <laughs> what? You've walked line in high heels? I have. It's true. I'm the only person to walk a high line in high heels. Wow. Very impressive. Now, how how did you discover slacklining? Um, I discovered slacklining completely by chance. I used to go to this park in my hometown of Austin, Texas and swim and just hang out under the pecan trees. And I saw the slackline set up one day and I tried it. And my first reaction was, that's impossible. Way, way too hard. No way can I ever cross a line like that. But the next two weeks, I kept going to the park to swim and hang out, and I kept seeing the line. So eventually, I tried it again. And once I was able to take a couple steps on it, I was hooked. I was really determined, and I fell in love with the sport. You don't sound like you're from Austin, Texas. I've lived in Europe for three and a half years, huh. and um, I just moved back to the States the last couple years. So I think I lost any kind of Texas twang that I used to have. But I still say y'all. You still say y'all. <laughs> you sound almost a little European. Have you ever gotten that before? Yeah, I have gotten that before. People usually think I'm either Canadian or some somewhere in Europe. Yeah, yeah, Canadian. That's a good call. Very neat. So wait, so you started slacklining, but you do this as a profession now, right? 
I do. Um, I started slacklining, and it was just a hobby at that point. I was just walking between trees, low to the ground, and I happened to go through a series of life-changing events that changed my course and direction, Hmm. Um, one of which was a car accident where I crashed my car, flipped it over, I fell asleep driving. I was working about 85 hours a week, saving money to go to New York City and study fashion design, and I was just running myself into the ground, and that all culminated into the car accident. Fortunately, I was okay, but um, I realized that I needed to rethink my course, and so I took my savings and I went to Europe with a one-way ticket. And that's where I, by chance, met people who were highlining, and I found out that they were holding slackline festivals in Europe, in fact. So I went to a slackline festival. I tried longlining for the first time. I saw this huge community of people all practicing these the same activities, and I got to step foot on a high line for the first time. Wow. And so how high is that line off of the ground? And then what did it feel like? Well, the first high line I tried wasn't so high. It was probably 60 feet off the ground. It was urban. It was between uh, a water tower and a building because it was part of the festival. And it was just an, a chance for slackliners to try highlining for the first time. And in my head, I thought, okay, it's the same thing as a slackline, you know, no big deal. But um, it was the first time I was managing ropes or tying knots or, yeah, standing on a slack line high off the ground. So everything I thought I knew was out the window. It was like starting from the beginning again. My whole body was mm. shaking. I was terrified. I was sitting out there on the line for half an hour sometimes without even standing up. And then when I did stand up, it was like I couldn't walk at all. I mean, I was a, a decent slackliner, but once I got on the high line, I just fell, 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 fell. And we should say for the listeners, you are linked into a harness here. So if you do fall, you get caught by the slackline, correct, Faith? Yes. To be clear, the, the most common way to practice highlining is with a harness. It's a climbing harness, so it goes around your legs and your waist. And then you have a very secure piece of rope that's tied to that harness that goes to a steel ring or two steel rings, which are linked around the slack line itself. So as you walk on the high line, it follows you. So if you are to fall off the line, you're dangling three or four feet below it, and you just climb the rope and mount the line again. Interesting. And so you mentioned mistakes there, and my dad would always tell me when I was skiing when I was younger that, you know, like, don't worry about it. You learn from your mistakes. It's good to fall. You learn from falling. You learn from your mistakes. What did you learn when you had that instance of, you know, falling 30 times on the on the high line? Because it was my first high line and I just didn't have any upper body strength, it was very difficult to climb the leash again. And so one, once I fell off, you know, I had this huge fear in me that I wouldn't even be able to get back on the line. But at the same time, the falling was really necessary to tell myself that I was safe because I was harnessed in and nothing was going to happen. But when you're sitting on that line trying to stand up and walk it, your mind feels like you could die. I mean, it's telling you, you could die if you fall off. (laughs) So it was really important to go through the motions of falling off repeatedly so that I knew, in fact, I was safe and, you know, I was going to get some bruises, maybe some rope burn, but that was the, the extent of the damage. So you now pursue a style of slacklining called free solo slacklining, not all the time, but on occasion, where you don't have that benefit of being harnessed in. Uh, You can't fall more than once because after the first time, you'll most likely not be around anymore. 
Tell us a little bit about how you got from where you were to where you are now, because you obviously can't go from the first Highland experience straight to the free soloing. Correct. Um, I I started traveling with these two guys that I met in Europe who were Highliners, and we kind of formed an unofficial team, and we were all very passionate about Highlining. And they were both better than I was at the time, but um, I caught up with them as quickly as I could. And we soon realized that we weren't able to work Monday through Friday at a normal job if we wanted to push our limits in the sport. So we started seeking out sponsorship, and we went on a few expeditions. We went to the U.S. and traveled around for three months, highlining extensively. So my skill reached a high level very quickly because I devoted myself. I stopped doing everything else and I focused intently on highlining and longlining, which is a physical training for it. And so I never dreamt that I would walk without a leash. However, one of my teammates was practicing free solo regularly And uh, I had seen him do it before, but it was still so far out of reach for me that I said, oh, that's stupid. I would never risk my life like that. However, at some point, my level in highlining came to a head, and I, I felt this really strong desire in myself to push myself in the purest form possible. Because theoretically, the only thing separating you from from uh, being able to walk a line with or without a leash is your mind and your fear. Because if you're physically skilled enough to walk a line point A to point B, you should be able to do the same thing high off the ground. But for some reason, when you take off that security, your body reacts immediately. So it became clear to me that I wanted to gain control over my mind as much as I could, and free solo was the only way I could do that. Hmm. So I'll take a I'll take a quote from one of the videos. Um, it's the benefit of technology these days. I can find out so much about you, Faith. <laughs> so in your video, you say, "I think everyone has different comfort zones. I think everyone should push these comfort zones, but not everyone has to push them in a different way." So for me to transform myself and understand myself better, I needed to go on a high line without safety. Sounds like that captures it. That captures it perfectly. Because free solo is a beautiful experience, but it's very personal. And I would never recommend it to anyone because I can see other highliners experiencing the same things with a leash that I experience without a leash. So in the end, you know, and I can't tell you the scientific reason behind it, whatever, maybe it's about chemical releases in the brain, but going without a leash really taught me a lot about myself and and started to give me this foundation of understanding that there's a difference between fear and intuition and and being in tune with yourself, and I really needed that experience. Hmm. That's funny you say you wouldn't recommend free solo highlining to anybody else. I think it's um it's such a personal thing that each highliner has to determine if that's a journey they want to embark on or not, and if it's necessary. I know a lot of highliners who are perfectly content pushing their physical limits and the mental limits within a realm of safety mm-hmm. because the risk is so high without a leash. Isn't there another way that like other ways where you could? discover these rewards of finding more about yourself and like this pure form of discovery that you talk about isn't there another way that you could find that I don't know maybe through a different activity but at this point in my highlining career I feel such a difference between walking a really big physically challenging line as opposed to walking 
a smaller line with no leash. Yeah. It's like it's a completely different part of my brain. It's it's incredible. So we talk a lot about like risk versus reward on this show. And to me, and obviously, like I don't do any of this stuff just because, we, I mean, we talk about that comfort zone. This is so far beyond my comfort zone. But yeah. but we talk about like risk versus reward. It seems like like you are taking a disproportionately high risk for the amount of reward that you see out of this. Well, I would like to point out that no one has ever died free soloing Highlines. Really? So, really. It, um, there has only been one Highline-related death in the whole history of the sport, and it was a rigging error. It was an avoidable error where they used a carabiner to secure the leash to the Highline rather than a solid steel ring. So the carabiner opened and the, the Highliner fell to his death. However, at this point, there's, there's not a huge number of people soloing. It's very, very small in relation to how many people practice the sport itself. However, no one has died. I think, I think because it is so intensive, it prevents a lot of people from getting into it. And by the same token, there's all these training steps that we take to be as safe as possible. So, for example, when you begin highlining, you have a harness, you have a leash, and if you fall, you fall off of the line and you're dangling a few feet below. Well, as you progress, you realize that it takes a lot of energy to climb a four-foot rope every time you want to try again. So you begin to catch the slack line that you're walking on. Mm -hmm. So as you're shaking and your body is moving, you go forward and grab the slack line with your hands and your feet or your hands and your legs. And that way you're, you're not dangling from a rope. So when you're really s secure in your catching abilities, it's almost like an extra life support. So I'm confident in my ability that if I were to fall without a leash, there's a very, very high chance that I will catch the line and not fall off completely. I am so glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask how how you catch yourself if you fall. So basically you you learn to fall the proper way and that exactly. helps you catch. Yeah, okay. And, and for example, with my own ability, I went two years without taking an, a fall off of the line completely. Mm -hmm. So I fell many times, but I caught every time. So knowing that I was catching 99% of the time was very helpful for my, my mental strength when it came to walking with no leash at all. Interesting. So we go back to the reason that you do this, which is to like shred away all of these outside distractions and all you can focus on is the slacklining because if you fall, you're donezo. But now you tell me that you can fall and catch yourself. Maybe this isn't risky enough because you have that option to fall. It feels so risky even if you know you're going to catch the line. I mean, you know, highliners who solo, we usually minimize our, our safety one step at a time. So first we wear a climbing harness that goes around our legs and our waist, and that's the safest way possible. Then we take the harness off and we tie the leash to a swami belt, which is virtually a harness that goes only around your waist. And it's very uncomfortable if you fall on it. And that's a mental training tool. Hmm. And then you're going to take off the harness or the swami and you're going to tie the leash to your ankle. And you really don't want to fall off and be dangling from your ankle and dislocate who knows how many joints. So there's all these steps we take to get our mind prepared for walking with no leash at all. And it's, it's about convincing yourself that you're able to do it and being more and more comfortable with less and less safety. 
So the final step is no leash at all. But let me tell you, we sometimes take a leash and tie it to one belt loop on our jeans. And for Mm. sure, it wouldn't save you if you fell. But for whatever reason, just pulling that leash behind you as you walk across the line makes such a difference for your mind as opposed to no leash at all. It is such an instantaneous change from feeling safe to feeling unsafe. So it's all in the mind. I would say so. Soloists never walk at their limit physically. So, for example, I've walked a 350-foot-long high line, but my longest solo is 92 feet long. It's a third of my physical ability. But it is such a mental, mental challenge that I can't possibly walk my physical limit without a leash not even close so as as you move forward do you think the bigger risk that you take the more that you find that feeling where you can see your fears and your hopes your strengths and your doubts definitely definitely um soloing is the kind of thing you have to do regularly to keep that part of your mind trained so if i take a really big break then usually i'm just soloing shorter length lines and every line is is different too there's some lines that aren't particularly long but they're so high and they're so exposed that they're far more scary than a longer line in a different setting right so it really comes down to the the line itself how you feel on it and how you feel that day. I mean, there's times where I'm at a high line, I would love to solo, but I don't feel confident enough. I don't feel like I'm in a good state of mind to walk it with no leash. However, I constantly do want to push myself soloing. I want to walk longer and longer lines because the longer the line, the more time you're on it. And it's important for me to be able to control my fear and learn how to do that for an extended period of time. So then how how do you balance those two things? How do you balance pushing yourself further so you can get that internal reward versus being safe? You know, it's it's kind of like training two different things. If I want to walk really big distances on a high line, then I focus on that. So if, if I want to walk a 400-foot high line, then I'm going to put soloing to the side and I'm going to concentrate on training my body. I'm going to go long lining in the park and walk really big distances to train my muscles. And then I'm going to go get on big high lines as much as I can to you know work on that focus because you have to concentrate for such a long period of time. That's often what makes it so challenging. And if I want to push myself soloing, then I might just walk as many lines as possible. And I may not focus on the distance so much as how strong my mind is. I'm going to walk more with ankle leashes, for example, to get comfortable without a harness on. And it's hard to balance them, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) What do your parents think of all of this? Um, Well, I just grew up with my mother. And uh, when I first got into highlining, I don't think she quite realized what was going on. (laughs) I was in Europe, so I was a bit unreachable. Mm -hmm. So she couldn't quite follow everything that was happening. And um, she's really proud of me. She's proud of my accomplishments. And she's proud that I've made my own way in life and that I've learned how to live from it. However, when it comes to soloing, we avoid the topic. Really? Because it's, yeah, it's definitely not something she supports. She thinks that I... feel that I'm invincible, that I'm just, you know, doing it for the adrenaline rush or whatever. It's hard for her to understand why. Hmm. And you can say with complete confidence that she is wrong? <laughs> I think if I was in her shoes, I would feel the exact same way. Hmm. However, 
you know, part of raising children is that at some point they are adults and they live their own lives. So you have to step back and let them do what they choose to do. We all have rights over our own bodies. And I don't want to die soloing. I love life and there's a lot more I want to accomplish on this planet. So I keep it very controlled. I think a lot of people think it is like a daredevil sport, that it is about the adrenaline, but it's so much more than that. And actually, you're trying to stay calm in the midst of all this adrenaline in your body. It is so meditative. And um, and for that reason, I think people have to look at it less as a, as a risk and more as self-discovery. And that's why we have you on the show. So rather than <laughs> people watching a three-minute video of you doing all this extreme stuff, we can actually talk to you about it. Exactly. And I love I love sharing about it because, you know, once again, I think not every human being on this planet wants to or is cut out to do these kind of activities, but they don't necessarily need to. You know, we each discover things in our own way. You're talking to him right now um, <laughs> to switch to switch gears. Speaking of gears, a little uh, play on words there. We like to get a gear recommendation from every guest that we have on the show. So Faith, I want you to give our listeners something that they have to have. Most likely, I would imagine it's related to slacklining. <laughs> well, um, my favorite webbing on the planet for walking on is Type 18 from Balance Community. Mm-hmm. It's just fantastic. It's nylon, which is the original material of slacklining, which means it's very stretchy. And I love walking on it because it's bouncy. When you set up the line, no matter what length it is, you have a bounce to it. So it's really a joy to walk. You can learn to groove with it. So that would be my gear recommendation. And it's just quickly, because I'm sure there are some listeners out there who would like to kind of find out more about slacklining. And it, to be completely honest, I th- at first thought that this was something that would be very difficult to pursue seeing all the pictures of you doing this extreme stuff, but it sounds like something that you could even just do in your backyard. That's exactly it. I think um, people often put slacklining on some sort of pedestal because they see these extreme pictures of highlining where people are in the mountains. However, slacklining is incredible because it's so wide-reaching. Everyone can do it. If you have trees in your yard, you can set up a line. If you have a park nearby, you can set up a line. So it's really cool to see the sport growing and to remind people that they too can slackline. You don't have to highline to have all the pleasure of balance and equilibrium. And, and the training in your body is great. I mean, it's a lot like yoga and how it trains your your muscles. For the listeners, you can find that resource and all of the other highlights of what we talked about today on our website, mtnmeister.com. Faith, you will have a whole Meister profile page created for you. Thank you. (laughs) I'm going to switch topics here so uh, violently that you're just not going to know what's coming. There's a great Freakonomics episode. Freakonomics is another podcast, uh, one that I like to listen to. And they talk about whether or not your name has something to do with where you end up in life, right? So your name is... Interesting. Your name is Faith. And (laughs) it goes along too perfectly with what you do. And by some sort of crazy coincidence, if it is a coincidence at all, we have had one other slackliner on this show, and his name is John Fate. I don't know Very close. how that happened, <laughs> but we have two, two people that have fate in their name. Yours happens to be Faith. Do you agree with them? That, or uh, Sorry, I should tell you the conclusion of what they found. 
they found that your names indicate something about your parents or who named you, which obviously makes sense, um, all uh-huh. the way down to you can tell probably what what their parents' political views are, depending on what your name is. Also, obviously, your race uh, and some other things. You can also tell that your through the through the data, you can tell that your parents have an effect on who you are. Um, which everybody knows that. (laughs) So your name indicates something about your parents and your parents have an effect on who you are. Both of those things are pretty obvious, but the question is, does your name have an effect on who you eventually become? Among a few kind of different conclusions that they had, the overarching one was no, your name does not have an effect on who you eventually become. I'm curious, in your many years of experience having the name Faith, do you agree with them? I think I don't have enough experience to give a definitive answer. However, I would say when you have an unusual name, Mm -hmm. it draws more attention to you as a person. So potentially that changes your character a little bit. If you grow up receiving extra or unusual attention because of your name, could it potentially affect who you become and what endeavors you go for? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I never dreamt that I would be doing what I'm doing, but my name is very suitable. Yeah, it is. I wonder, so what are some other, I know there's a guy named Andy Lewis out there. That does not sound like a (laughs) slackliner name. (laughs) No, that's pretty typical. I'll have to think about it. I guess I don't know any other slackliners that have really specific names that are appropriate. Yeah. Maybe some, some foreign people. Yeah, we'll have to explore that on future episodes of Mountain Meister. My last name is Schenk, S-C-H-E-N-C-K. <laughs> I don't know if that indicates anything about me. I guess we'll find out. Have you shanked anyone in your life? I don't believe so. <laughs> uh, not that you can recall. <laughs> not that I can recall. Um, so yeah, the names, it's kind of an interesting topic of conversation. Um, I also want to explore a little bit about your risk tolerance, Faith, and see how you compare to other people. We had a free solo rock climber on the show, and I asked him this question. I'm going to ask you the same one. Um, so we're going to flip a coin and I want you to pick heads or tails. Okay. Go ahead. Heads. Heads. Wow. You thought about that for a little bit. Um, so, okay. So when I flip this coin, if it lands on tails, you lose $100. But if you're right and it lands on heads, you win $150. So $50 more. Are you going to take that bet with me? Sure. Let's go for it. You will. Okay, great. How about $125? Would you take that bet with me? Yeah, I would probably take that. Okay. At what point? Would you say, nah, I'm not going to take that bet? $110? $100? Would you take it for 100 You lose 100 or you gain 100 I suppose, in my opinion, if you're going to bet and you only have a chance to win or a chance to lose and there's no other odds in the situation, as long as you win $100, then it's worth it, correct? Yes, but if it lands on tails, you're losing $100. Yeah, but it can land on tails even if you're, you could win $200. In that situation, even mm-hmm. if you knew you could win $200, you could also lose $100. Right, exactly. So I think if you, if you know the whole time that you have the potential to lose $100 and that's not going to change, then the bet is worth taking. Good, good, good thought process. 
But the the, <laughs> the rational choice, as long as the downside risk, the losing one hundred dollars, isn't debilitating and it's not going to change your life, which I don't think it is for you, Faith. Mm-hmm. The math is that you take fifty percent times the upside one hundred dollars, which equals fifty, and then fifty percent times the downside negative one hundred, which equals negative fifty. You add those together, that equals zero. So you should be indifferent. If that number is anything positive and you are unemotional and rational, you really should take that bet. But compared to an average human, you are at least twice as risky. (laughs) Let me just say that there's no correct answer here. It's about measuring your tolerance for risk. This all comes down to how you personally feel. Mm -hmm. We asked the same question to the free solo rock climber. His answer, uh-huh. his answer that was that he would have to be compensated a thousand dollars. So if it landed on heads, then he would have to get a thousand dollars in order to hit, take the downside risk of losing one hundred dollars <laughs> on tails. That's surprising, it, I guess. It is very surprising. I was very surprised by his answer there. Anyway, so the point of this whole exercise is to evaluate uh-huh. is to evaluate your risk tolerance, which you obviously have. I guess so. <laughs> I've been in a few car accidents in my life, so I've played the odds multiple times. <laughs> so that might be why my answer is such. I'll ask you the same question I asked him about free solo rock climbing. Do you see free solo highlighting as a risk? Yes. This is fascinating because you have a completely different outlook than he does. He did not see free solo rock climbing as a risk. This is very, very it's very interesting to me because uh, I'm not saying either of you are wrong. I'm just saying that this is totally l- look at how your answers are are illustrating this to the coin flip question. He wants 10, yep. 10 to one. He is very risk averse and yet he doesn't see something that a lot of us see as very risky. He doesn't see that as risky. You, we see your slacklining is risky and you also see that as a risk and therefore your answer to the coin question showed that. Well, I suppose I think about it in in relation to odds. If you drive your car every single day, you have higher odds of getting in a car accident as opposed to if you drive your car once a month. So anytime you go into the mountains, your odds of injury are higher than if you don't go into the mountains at all. So every time I set foot on a high line with no leash, my odds are higher of something happening than if I always wore a leash. I just look at it in a mathematical standpoint. I mean, it's very controlled. I don't have any fear in me of that I'm going to die soloing, but I think it's important to accept that there is risk in the situation. Of course, it's a slight chance that an eagle is going to fly into my face while I'm soloing, but it could happen, right? Mm-hmm. Well, so it's like it's <laughs> and, like if there's a one in a million chance of something happening, if you do that one million times, add up the fractions and you get Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, I don't think risk is never a reason not to do something. If nobody ever took risks, our civilization wouldn't be where it is today. That might actually be your quote for this episode. I pick a quote (laughs) out of every Meister that we have on, and I like that one, Faith. All right. Faith Dickey, wonderful having you on Mountain Meister today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated. For the listeners, check out more about Faith at thatslacklinegirl.com. Do I have that right, Faith? You have that correct. How else can our listeners connect with you? Do you use social media? 
I do. I'm on Facebook. They can follow me there. Um, my name is Faith Dickey, and there's a bunch of pictures of me slacklining, hard to miss. And uh, I recommend everyone to go out and try slacklining. Find your local slackline community. There's usually a group on Facebook for each location, and uh, go try a line. You'll fall in love. Beautiful. Faith, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Hello, Meister fans. Thank you for tuning in to that mind-blowing discussion about free soloing, something that we need to explore more on this show down the road. Don't forget, we've got a bunch of deals going on just in time for the holiday season. 25% off Zeal Optics. We're giving you 100 bucks to IO Merino. Uh, you can win a Coquitat dry top. It's worth like 275 bucks. And you can see all of this on our amazingly beautiful new website, mtnmeister.com, or you can go to mountainmeister.com. That should redirect you right to it as well. And as always, enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do when you listen to this podcast. I'm Ben Shank, and you've been listening to Mountain Meister. Mountain Meister.